Well, welcome once again, everyone, to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. As you, For those who listen to us regularly, you know that we cover the best in alternative rock, uh, preferably of the classic alternative variety. I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Chris Logan. And Howdy. For those who've been listening for a while, you know we like to do our uh, yearly recaps. We do the best of this year, the best of that year, just kind of encompassing the best of the 90s and so on, the 80s. And tonight we're going to uh, talk about a year that that had a lot of big albums, but it do, you don't really hear a lot of them, I guess, kind of heard in the same breath as maybe some some other or the earlier years. This is kind of the, the mid nineties, but nineteen ninety five had a really yeah. c- cool mix of uh, different types of sounds and artists, and a very I think a diverse year for music and one that uh, almost all the albums I've been kind of listening to and recapping for, for this, uh, uh, for this episode, have really uh, hold up quite well. Um, I mean, you've got, you know, your, some of your heavy alternative holdouts, you've got the emergence of, yep. you know, some Brit pop stuff. You've got a lot, a lot of electronica. This was a big year, for, big yeah. year for electronic music. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of, kind of, and and then you've got you know a whole a really a good wide array of of uh, you know metal acts and everything else. So I don't think you could say the 1995. It seems like every year we say this, but like you know, it's just you know 91 was like the mother low year, but each other year is, as has so many great releases, and 1995 is is no exception. So it was not a boring year. It was not. It was, it was a whole bunch of different sounds, and with with alternative at, at really at, at its all time high. For me, this is the year of the what what I would term as the last great Lollapalooza, because of everything that was on on the bill that year, and some of the bands we'll touch on today. But um, some of them were just really getting started with um, second or or first albums, but. Yeah, this is this was a great year with a lot of different, a lot of different types of uh, sounds that were coming out for alternative. It, it really was, and um, I guess we could just just dive on in. I, I one album that that I would like to start off with is one that both you and I really enjoy, and that's a Northern Soul by The Verve. Yeah, yeah, and The Verve. Were, uh, yeah, <laughs> just yeah, to, just I really to, like this record. Just a, a really cool band, and of course, you know everybody knows them from Bittersweet Symphony. That's like their big hit. They're kind of unfairly maligned as a one-hit wonder, um, which irritates me. Right. But um, it's fair, but it's still irritating. Yeah, I but, understand. I understand both sides of that because that was all that was promoted from this band. If you had just heard that, you would have thought it's maybe the very first single or something like that because it was nice and catchy. But they they had they had a previous life before that. It's like you know, pulling somebody that's going to on their third album and for Grammy for best new artist. Well, they have, they have a history. Yeah. And, and they have a song called history, which is actually off the album. It's just a really good, a really great, beautiful song. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, th- I think what's funny about the verve to me is that, you know, people who follow the band are like, Oh, and you know, they played their, yeah, you know, they made Urban Hymns and they broke up. Well, they actually broke up before Urban Hymns, so they they've broken up like like I, th- I think three times now. Um, yeah, 
and, and this <laughs> or at is, least we're on the verge. Yeah, this record really, honestly, should not have been should not have been completed. Honestly, and, it really shouldn't have, but it did. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. <laughs> And I don't know what's up with these guys. I don't know why they're so combustible. I, I know the guitarist is is kind of very socially awkward, and the the singer is a egomaniac, very reclusive guy. Yeah, yeah. And then and then it's it, it's one of those the alpha and or, or the the introvert extrovert. Yeah, uh, cases where where Richard Ashcroft is such a a front man. You know, I, I mean, and I've seen him perform live before and he is, he's a fantastic front man. He really, really is. And I don't think Nick McCabe played guitar on the tour that I saw them on because he was, for lack of better term, estranged from the band. Yeah, we were, but, um, we were actually both at that same show. I don't know if you remember that or not, but. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. But that's yeah, right. it was in Houston at Bayou Place, and uh, at Bayou Place, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, the guitarist. Eight venues that they played, I think. Yeah, the the guitarist for that tour was the same one. I don't remember his name. I know he played all the guitar parts, a lot, a lot of the slide guitar parts off of Ultra on Depeche Mode. Right. So. Yeah. Um, it was it, uh, well. I think that was just uh, the guy that he just played slide. I thought mm-hmm. yeah. uh, an, an older guy named Gosh. I want to say TJ TJ Cole. I think that's I think that's the guy that toured with him. I think that was the guy. It, he he did he did a lot of those. I mean, because Nick McCabe was very kind of ethereal within a sense, uh, melodic, extremely melodic. But then they had somebody else come in and, and do. Um, like the regular, just kind of like rock pieces, I guess you might say. I was going to look and see if that was it was actually PJ McCabe. I'm pretty, I'm feel pretty confident of that, or not McCabe, but uh, Cole that did the tour. But um, anyway, but yeah, this was a, this was a more straight ahead record where the the I guess you might say the last two were a little bit more just. You know, uh, psychedelic within a sense. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's there's definitely some heavy some heavy stuff off this one. I'm, I'm, yeah, a, a, a new decade, yeah. a new get do I can't talk a new decade. Is what comes to mind for me? Um, yeah, yeah, it's just a real solid solid album. I mean, solid yeah. solid solid track, just nice and heavy and crushy. But then you've got the stuff like history and then history on your own on your which, own. Just that that's a great song. That's a great song off this one. Oh, and this is music. That uh that was a second track off of that. Yeah. That a... was a coming off of a, a, a great opening from New uh New Decade into This Is Music. Boy, that I mean, that's almost like a a, a left and a right <laughs> for them. Yeah. It probably didn't get much better for them, but that that was two two solid tracks in a row. It it really felt too. It really felt like a uh, very much, um, just like a. I'm trying to think that what I'm trying to say here, but very dramatic, like a new decade. You know, this is music. Yeah, it was yeah. like it's like listen to this album. God damn it, we're really have done something here, and and you're gonna right. You're gonna take notice. Um, we're 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 breaking from the mold that we were previously at. It's just kind of being this like 
what we what you might have thought was some druggy psych psychedelic band. You know, we're not Stone Roses. We're not we're not trying to emulate that. We're just trying to be a rock band, and here we go. And it's it's really funny because I I, I had this album linked to another album that I want to touch on. Um, because a friend of mine came home from a record store and he had bought this album and he bought Electra Fiction's Burned. And uh, uh, Electra Fiction, for those who, who don't know, don't remember, was 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 a was a the Echo and the Bunnyman side project. Yeah, or? yeah, it was it was Ian McCullough and Will Sargent from the Bunnyman doing kind of like their version of of Britpop, but but heavy. And was wait a minute, was was Ian McCullough in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a singer. I totally forgot. And I totally and, forgot about that. And it's it's a good album. It's a really I I think it's a really cool album, and it's really cool hearing them just going getting so aggressive because there's just a like feel my pulse has got a really like just very heavy riff, <laughs> right? And uh, there is that that single. Uh, I think I think the single just which is called Burned. I think I'm not, but um, and they that sounds right. I actually saw them. I, I did too. <laughs> I, saw, I saw I saw them with the uh, with the with the uh, Lemonheads. No way, the yeah. Lemonheads. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a weird. And I actually, I actually met them um, after the show, and they get, and they were both rip roaring drunk. And Ian McCall was uh-huh. as, was as arrogant as, as you would expect him to be, but he was still really yeah. nice. They, but they were really fun to talk to. But they were both trashed. But uh, <laughs> but they, all they all they really they only. They only played one Echo the Bunnyman song. Is Do It Clean. Everything else was all electric fiction. But it was good. I mean, I think it's an album that's it's right? like one of those fall, fell through the cracks albums that I think is worth searching out. If anybody's a fan of Echo and the Bunnyman or '90s alt rock, I think they are. Uh-huh. They are definitely <laughs> electric fiction. Wow. Yeah. I, that that one almost slipped through slipped through the cracks of my memory too. Yeah. I, I only I, only, I remember seeing it. <laughs> I only thought about it today because I was thinking about that album and I was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. They were, they were. So that was one that, that, that hopped in my mind. What's another album that you want to give a crack at? Well, we could, we could keep it in the vein and, and hit with a, a, like another uh, mutual one with uh, Pulp's different class. Yes. Because that was another, that was a, man, that was a fun record. Fantastic record. It's really one of those albums that kind of sums up a a subgenre, really. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, Britpop's most like poetic hour, I guess you could say, as far as. Just hitting all those, I agree. All those, yeah. no, all those notes and those things you expect from that from that style of music, but giving it its own, you know, they were their their own thing. Because Pulp were kind of weird because you know you've had a lot of bands like Oasis or Blur or or um, you know, any of those other rip hop groups that that were around from right. the nineties, but uh, Pulp have been around since like the the eighties. I mean, See, and that's that's one of the things that I was going to point out is like this was like their fourth or fifth record, and let's see, this is 1995, so I had already been working at at my record store for five years, and I don't know, I don't know that I had ever heard Blur 
until I heard common people come on. And whenever I finally heard that track, I mean, that was of course my, my introduction that I can, I can recall for sure, but it, it just, I, 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 I couldn't get enough. And, and I went back to the, the, the first couple records that they had and I, I don't want to say I didn't feel it, but I didn't feel it. Honestly, I just, just kept this record right here. There's something just absolutely perfect. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's Brit pop, but it wasn't exactly, it was more orchestrated and it had, it had an actual, it had an actual feeling to it. If you ask me. Well, and there's a definite like atmosphere and, and a, a very, uh, it's just very theatrical. I mean, I guess they're kind of like swayed in that respect and they were really kind of took, yeah took things to like a really arch degree, but you've got songs like, what is this feeling called love? Which I, I is such a fantastic song because mm-hmm. here's, here's a, a song where there he's like, he's like equating like young love to, to like, to, to something to be feared. And it was, I've never really heard a, a song like that before. And I thought that was, right. was such a, such a, interesting way to to do it and then you've got underwear which is just a classic great you know per- pervert you know lament song right. where he's like singing about spying <laughs> spying on this girl he wants to be or you've got um just remember the kids in the 90s were totally different okay yeah <laughs> you know per- perviness was not <laughs> perviness now <laughs> I, I mean i mean it's such you a great could, you could yeah i mean all, all of this record was was so much it it, it felt so much more human like it was, it it couldn't, it, it could have been a record written by your neighbor, and then you found out, hey, wait a minute, aren't you in a band? <laughs> I mean, it, it there was a realism to it that I didn't get from, you know, uh, Blur and and Oasis and all the other little, you know, the other sub brick pop bands that were were trying to to, you know, get above water at the time. These guys actually were almost like working class within a sense. I, I you know, I, maybe that's maybe that's just me kind of remembering what the, the there was a documentary, and I forgot the name of what it was, but they were playing their hometown. Oh yeah, and I saw that. Um... That was that was so like everybody in the town. Oh, a Jarvis, yeah, yeah, nice lad. He's in that band, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it was, it was just like that. Yeah, that's that's a great do- just, documentary. I, I, I felt I felt it having a little a lot more of um, an angle of humanity from all the others. And they also weren't. I mean, they didn't really care about looking cool. Either. I mean, I mean, they for, right. for, for God's sakes, they have a song where they they copied the lick to Laura Branigan's Gloria. You know, for 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 for, for disco two thousand, which it which is a disco two thousand, which is a phenomenal song. Um, yeah. uh, so they they just are fun, you know. And and I'm a huge yeah. I'm a huge fan of this is hardcore. You know, their follow up. I think that's that's like yeah, it, it, it's it's really tough for me to choose, but just because this was like my first exposure to them, and and just you know, right. It's just it's just a perfect. It's really a perfect album, and there's not one bad song yeah. on it. And common people's yeah. what, what they're known for, but it's it's just it's just like with the verb that they're more than that song, and every song off of a different class is is a keeper. I can't think of one where I'm like, yeah, this song's not so great. I mean, it's it's all 
They're they're all good. Right. And I, I do agree that I, I do agree with you about this is hardcore. I think that that's a yeah, that's a that's a fantastic album. What a follow up. Yeah, it's so dark and uh but also it's perfect. also, also it's perfect. so so funny too. And that's and, yeah, that, and that's yeah. and that's the thing that you really got to mention when you talk about pulp as a humor. Jarvis Cocker's lyric, he's he is one of the best lyrics lyricists in music ever. Right. I mean, to me, he's in the top ten of. Uh, I made a list when I first started my blog about the best lyricists, and to me, he's like, he's 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 up there. He's he's absolutely yeah. He always tells a story. It's not just words sewn together. There's always a very there's always a, a narrative to each thing that he does, and that's what makes it so, so you know, you, you, you're glad he has such good diction because you want to hear what he has to say. Right. You, you want to piece it all together because it's in what a storyteller. Yeah, it, 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 it's fantastic storytelling is what it is. He he sets he sets the mood, and then you're it you're just drawn into the the actual you know short story that he's that he's telling. It it's. It's it's really good. It's just so good that it it works on so many different levels, you know. And have you ever seen them? I have not. I I I, I have not either. I have not either. So and I don't guess it's ever going to happen because they had that reunion, uh, which only lasted for like half a year, and then they kind of kind of said that's it. So yeah, it's that's a real yeah. bummer because I, I would have paid good Same money. Here. I would have paid good money to go see those guys. So yeah. But I do think that he's working on something right now. He's working on some solo yeah, thing. Yeah, he, he had a solo record that was supposed to be rela- uh, re- uh, released. Um, gosh, sometime back in late March, I thought. Uh, maybe it was early April. But um, because of COVID-19, they delayed that. Not sure why they delay records because of a yeah. pandemic. Yeah, That's- yeah. That's up for that's up for a, a different a different think tank to figure it out, and I'm not on their payroll. So I mean, I would think just release a record. It's you know, hey, it is what it is at this point. So put the record out. Yeah, I'll, people. I'd have, like to hear it. Give not, me something to listen to. Yeah, people. Nothing please. else. To, nothing else to do. So why not put out <laughs> put out some new music? Right. Exactly. So. I'm not sure why you delayed it, but I'm not sure when it's coming out either. So, but I guess since we mentioned Pulp, we might as well hit the other um, elephant in the room, which you have on your list, and that's Oasis's "What's the Story, Morning Glory," which also came out. What's the 1995? Yeah, 90, yeah, and 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 I, I honestly kind of put this just it. It's not because it's one of my favorite records, really, of the year, but it was such a moving record. And by moving, I meant that how I'm, I'm trying to find the right words to say this because I'd seen them for definitely maybe they played they played a small club here and they were so abrasive and it was such a good show they completely demeaned the the the, the Dallas audience but they still performed at a high high level that was just and we all know that they they attribute a lot of their sound to the the the, the retroness of of the Beatles and everything, and and even at times just call them nothing but a bunch of Beatle rip off, you know. 
kind of a beat a ripoff, but man, there was so much of this record that I still kind of go back to. I still go back to some might say and Wonderwall and Champagne Super, Supernova. Man, I, I turned those songs up still and even use them as a joke like, okay, well, anyway, here's Wonderwall. <laughs> you know, it's just super melodic. You know, it's songs that you know, songs that, that you know and love, which I think that was the Jimmy Buffett record title, but that's that's what this record is to me for 1995. Is It's songs that I just played all the time in the record store. People liked it. And, and I eventually really, you know, fell in love with Don't Look Back and Anger. But then some might say happened and then next thing you know it's like I'm going to take this copy and then we can just open up another one because you know we had promos and promo copies of of CDs back then and I just took it with me I still have it to this day I've never gotten rid of it and I I probably won't anytime well maybe soon (laughs) I don't know but man it was just cast no shadow it was it was it was powerful, but at the same time, it was familiar. If that makes any sense. Yeah, and and I think what what don't look back in anger proved to me was that Noel was is the better singer. I think, but oh, absolutely, yeah, Noel is way the way better singer. And and it really gave yeah. me appreciation for for him because he really you know I mean he he wrote all the songs. It's like that's like his right. It's his his baby, you know what I mean, and I, I think that that yeah. that really yeah. that was that that impressed me quite a bit, and it's just yeah, it's just a, a ton of great songs on it, you know. It's like I, I remember reading some, yeah, it really is. There, there's a ton of great stuff on this record, and I, and, and I can't I can't leave it off 1995 just because not because of what it actually meant to me as, as you know personally, but but I just listened to it so much. And the B sides were awesome. I mean, I mean, I think they actually did Beatles songs on B sides. So you know, you know, whatever. They gave zero zero fucks about anything, and just kept kept doing it. Good for them, man. <laughs> yeah, if we ever, if we ever get on the other side of this pandemic, we'll. I, I have a feeling we're going to get an Oasis reunion eventually. I think it's just. I honestly think you're right. I think so. Just a ma- I think that will eventually happen. It's just a just a matter of time and how long this thing's gonna take to pan out. But I think they're if they, if they get the right they get the right money amount for a tour, they'll they'll be there. And I yep, I think that's that's what you're looking at. What what are the dollars? For sure. Well, I think. It's not a really good way to make a transition to this, but um, we've gone from some very brash British bands as far as Pulp and Oasis. So uh, another group that we really wanted to get to um, was Slow Dive, who released their final album until a few years back when they reunited, uh, Pygmalion. And it also saw the year where they all broke up, and then they became a three-piece called Mojave 3 with... I believe it was Rachel Goswell and um, Neil Halstead. Neil, 
Yeah. And they did like a kind of a, a low key acoustic thing, which was equally good. I mean, I really, you know, if you ask me what's a better album, Pig Million, or ask me tomorrow, it's really hard for me because I think they're both really great releases. Right. And it's kind of amazing they came out in the same year that they, you know, just, you know, slow Dive was a quick turnaround, right? <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. And, and I mean, Slow Dive were never a band that got that. that Slow Dive did not get their due until they reunited. That's when like they got all the acclaim that, that kind of eluded them because they were kind of seen as like Johnny Cone lately to shoot gays and a little too yeah, yeah. a little too goth to be this and to that. But I just think that they're just such a great band. Yeah. And Pygmalion is just a beautiful album. I don't know if it's my favorite of theirs because just for a day and um Sub- right. you're are re- yeah. are really strong. Um yeah. but but yeah. as far as a as a as an initial swan song, Pygmalion, you know, it's it ain't bad. I mean, you got Blue Sky and Clear, which was all that Doom Generation soundtrack. That's where that's really where I got exposed to right. Slow Dive and a lot of other bands on that Doom Generation soundtrack, which is just an amazing, yeah. amazing soundtrack. Verb was on that, I believe. Weren't yeah, they? yeah, the Verb. I, I was yeah. like, it was like a big exposure to a lot of these kind of mid '90s bands. Um, yeah, but that was kind of, and I kind of worked my way back, but. Uh, and then you had Ask Me Tomorrow by Mojave 3 with songs like Love Songs on the Radio or Mercy. Um, just really pretty harmonies. Very ethereal. All of it's ethereal. Um, just nice, chilled out stuff. I don't know what else I could add to it. What are your impressions yeah. up, upon both of those? No, I mean, you know, yeah, this this was a very... It was, it was almost like they're they're dipping their toes into sort of that acoustic Americana within a sense on the on Mojave three. Um, I, I, I agree with you with um, Pygmalion didn't really, didn't really hit on my radar all that much because records before were so much more, you know, they were stronger, stronger albums for sure. But whenever this one, you know, kind of, uh, it, it it seemed like this was quick. I was like, gosh, they 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 broke up and then they already have this out. That's wow, <laughs> that's quick. I don't. I'm not sure if this was in the can or the other record was in the can or how you know what their recording schedule was like. But if this was the one that they just after they just kind of split up or whatever and you know released, wow, the, you know this this was a this was this was a stronger one for me just because of the the time year i was i, I was in a transition i was moving from fort worth to austin for just a I, I would end up being on only there for like six or seven months but this was uh, a record high on my on my um listen to list um you know whether i was working at the store or back at home and just kicking back a, a glass of wine or whatever it was, you know. But yeah, this, uh, the Mojave 3 record, Ask Me Tomorrow, is is the stronger of the two, for sure. But both both albums are great for just chilling out or going to sleep too or yeah, getting it on through it. Any of those things that really, they've got some, It's it's got a very nocturnal charm to both of those releases. And it, Ooh, nocturnal charm—that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. It just showed that those guys, you know, they weren't afraid to go for the next thing, and 
and I thought Slut I was reading album was great too. I think there's, you know, I'm looking forward to their next thing. I'm glad they're back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Me too. Cause they, they're stronger than stronger than ever as uh slow dive right now. Yeah. So I, if you're a fan of slow dive and you haven't heard, you haven't given their new stuff a shot from a few years back, definitely listen to it. Cause their reunion album, the self-titled is, is great. It's really good. So I to give a shout out to that. It was another year for a dual kind of release too, because Mike Patton was, who was always, and has been very active this year, despite the pandemic, um, was very busy in 1995 because he gave us both Mr. Bungle's Disco Volante and Faith No More's <laughs> yes, King, King, King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime, um, which is a lot of music. Um, yeah. A lot of very interesting, strange music, both of which feature, also featured the guitar playing of Trace Spruance, who played for both Mr. Bungle and on that one Faith No More album, the only album that he recorded with them. But after Jim Martin had left and they're both really strong. Um, unfortunately, King for a day fool for a lifetime got kind of slaughter when it was released. It was a commercial failure. It was a critical failure. I actually interviewed Billy Gould, the bass player for fifth and more a couple weeks ago and discussing yeah. uh, the 20th anniversary and what he felt about it. And he kind of felt the same way that it was kind of un- unnecessarily shunted at the time. But I think for a fan, hardcore fans, were really into it because I mean, you had tracks like digging a grave or ricochet or ugly in the morning. One of my personal favorites um, that just, you know, it showed the band, you know, they were still doing their, their thing, but it was getting crazier and maybe not quite as atmospheric, not as cinematic, but heavier yeah. and yeah. Uh, more angular, just really stranger. And I, and I think that, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of the forgotten, great forgotten albums that the, of the nineties, I think. And, um, <clears throat> I just, I love it. I mean, the gentle art of making enemies, such great song titles too. I mean, just, you know, it's just a good solid album. And then with disco Volante, you know, Mr. Bungle's first album was like this weird, <laughs> like this weird carnival music meets Slayer kind of thing going on. <laughs> <Right>. a- <laughs> and then that, the, and their next album was like this really weird mix of like, Italian fi- oh, yeah. film music and like yeah horror yeah. movie stuff and surf rock and and yeah and I think I, I think you found a different home with that for fan with Phantomus because I was thinking about that too the Mr. Bungle stuff was great but I, I'm sure that the record label was tired of putting quote unquote wasting plastic on on trying to put out their records and. They just sell your stuff, man. I'm sure that, that that wasn't hard for them or hard for him to do because he had a lot more creativity. Yeah. But yeah, I mean yeah, I mean Disco Volante is is yeah, that's a that's that's certainly a, a, a weird piece in, 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 in the landscape, but I I think it's I think it's huge, man. I mean, whenever you talk about a guy named Mike Patton who is well known at this time and his his other band, you know, is doing so actually fairly well. I mean, I think King for a Day does get a, a little bit of a kick in the rear because it's it's nestled between Angel Dust and Album of the Year, which were both super duper strong records. That this one does get a little a little bit of a kind of a kickback on on both of those. So uh, I I think it's unfairly 
unfairly charged as being like a eh, not as good record. Because there's, there's so much stuff on there to love. I mean, you got like, you know, they did like a country bow with Take This Bottle, which is like this. Right. You know, they just, they do so many different types of, of songs. And you've got um, Just a Man, which is like this really weird. I don't know how you, I don't know how you classify Just a Man as, as like a genre. It's such a weird, it's like this like motivational, very uplifting, <laughs> a, a, almost like something from, from, from like a musical. It's got like a really yeah. a really strange quality to it, but that's what I like about Faith and More. They're just a bunch of oddballs and Mr. Bungle too. I mean, yeah. After school special, all my friends in yeah. high, high school are dead, and yeah. uh, uh, and and a song. There's a song in the album which should be a foreshadowing for a later album. That's also called The Bins. I'm not kidding. Well, yes, yes. And that, yes, 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 yes. And a song about a platypus. So I mean, you know, it's got it all. It really does. <laughs> it's really, really got it all. And I think if we're going to talk about mad scientist geniuses, um, I, I've got to give give a uh, a shout out to Apex Twins' Selected Ambient Works Volume Two. Yes. Which also I agree with that one. <laughs> Wait a second. Am I wrong about that? Did that not come out in that year? I need. I need to check. Okay. I need no. To, I need to check my. Check my. I may have gotten the wrong Apex Twin album. I may have been thinking of. I care because you do. I. Oh. It. Yeah. You know what? You're right. It was. I care. I care because you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's what. One second. I just want to make sure I got it right. So, did Ambient Works was like ninety four or something? Ninety two, ninety three. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. So I care because you do is another. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you start with that. Yeah, me kind of back up on that. But if we're going to yep. t- talk about musical mad scientists, I've also got to mention uh, Richard James, uh, also known as Apex Twin, who followed up the amazing Selected Ambiworks Volume 2 with I Care Because You Do, which um, has a nightmarishly creepy cover, a painting of him, like one of the many, <laughs> many album covers of him, like a, a distorted version of his face, which he somehow right. manages to make infinitely creepy. Um, but... Uh, it was a really strange album, you know, because it, because Aphex Twin, uh, Selected Ambient Works 1 and 2 were very just, uh, sleep inducing. Yeah. I mean, they, they were just, they were just relaxed records. There, there was, they, they were like beatless. Uh, it was just oral tones within a sense, honestly. And then this. <laughs> Yeah, and and with this album, he was really like experimenting with, uh, you know, more percussion, uh, more aggressive stuff like Ventolin, which is which is so caustic to the ears. You really saw him, you know, kind of making more aggressive music in his own style, um, and you know, just and all these weird titles like Wet Tip Hinax and Mookid and uh, Cal Cud as a twin. I mean, just he's really. I mean, this guy's—he's a nut, you know. I mean, Richard D. James is a a true kook. I mean, he's like he like he lives in a tank and you know makes his own synthesizers and 
sleeps in a tank. I mean, and like, I mean, he's just, he's a, he's, and even now he's like putting out tons of songs on SoundCloud and, and he's just, he's just one of those guys that's so original and so, and so uh, unique that he's kind of hard to quantify. And the fact that he became even somewhat of a household name is really remarkable because his music is so strange that he somehow manages it to make is still somewhat accessible to the ear, which just shows you that, you know, he's not just a great, you know, sound designer, but he's a great songwriter. And, uh, I care because you do, it, it, I think it much like King for a day, it kind of gets lost in between ambient works and his self-titled album. But I think it's just, I think it's a very strong one and really kind of expanded his sound and, and, uh, even made it more dancey, you know what I mean? He kind of got into into that headspace as far as like the burgeoning electronica thing. He was right there at the forefront of it. Yeah, he he was really. I, I would say my introduction to a little bit more of what, or I would say he was the my. Well, maybe it's not my my intro, but into like that glitch sound where everything. It still it still had um, momentum, but like you know, there was there was some sort of rhythm going on there, but the sounds tonally that were surrounding it were just popping from so many different sides. You know, it was it was it was coherent for sure, but it was certainly still in, in, in a, a much more avant garde sort of keyboard electronic uh, cocoon I guess you might say yeah yeah definitely and um, yeah just his, 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 the whole sound was just so strange because actually I think my first exposure to Aphex Twin was this album because I got it for, yeah. I was at I was at a uh, at this club in St. Louis and they were giving out samplers and it was a sampler of this album and I went out and bought his, some of his <laughs> more stuff wow. that next week because I was like, what is this? You know, so it was so, so cool and different. Um, and you know, that's another guy still putting out stuff. He's got, he's putting out too much stuff. Now it was, he was gone for yeah. so so long and he came out and started putting out like a 5,000 songs on SoundCloud in one day. You can't keep up with it anymore. It's absolutely uh-uh. insane. Insanity. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't keep up with him at all now. I mean, just the, the, <laughs> the, the amount of stuff that he's releasing is it's it's way too much now for me to I don't have enough I don't have enough to minute to my day. <laughs> but this is certainly a a, a a a record to go back and explore for sure. And speaking of, of glitch, I guess we gotta give a little bit of a of a shout out to Goldie's timeless too, as far as like Oh yeah, a, yeah. A, a dude that really brought drum and bass to to the mainstream um such a right. such a strange style of music and uh it really is yeah but yeah. T- but timeless uh it, it was a really cool album i mean i i i always dug it i thought it was just it was mellow but aggressive it was like a really cool mix of like yeah mhm just a really yep. interesting there's a lot of interesting albums like that that year that were these kind of these strange one-offs and and uh kind of leaning back to what we were talking to at the beginning is you know the the so many different sounds that were going on in in the alternative 
and and fray within a sense because you know we've already talked about kind of brit pop to a, to an extent and we're going to move on a little bit later to something that's totally uh, a totally different sound but you're going to hear it on the same radio station well in, in electronic music it was it was just as frayed just the electronic music because you had somebody like apex twin who was all like you know beat glitch like i was trying to i was trying to say but goldie had that more drum and bass sound that was really popping over in in uh the uk and i'm I'm not not we're not far off of getting into just like the big beat sounds uh, at this point because Goldie was was like top of his game at, at as as far as like the uh, drum and bass sounds that were going on you know you know chopped beats that were just um, layered upon layer with bass lines that were usually kind of like that. Not like that funky sound, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely had that uh almost like some uh James Brown swing in there, you know. There, there was there was some of that going exactly. on. But also very cinematic, uh Right, yeah. And mm-hmm. and I think I think what you saw in nineteen ninety five was you know, there been so the previous years were so dominated by guitar rock and there still was by quite an extent, but you really saw and emergence in '95, in particular, of, of electronica, where it, why it would never become nearly as popular as grunge or or any other kind of, or rip hop. It was it was it was kind of it was kind of like shoegaze. It was like right bubbling underneath the surface. Yeah. It was there, you know. It was it was like almost a big thing, but it was like a big niche thing. And uh, you know, ninety in '94, you saw Portishead with Dummy, which is a fantastic trip hop release. It kind of changed. A lot of people's minds about music, along with Massive Attacks uh, protection. So '96, right. you got another electronic artist come out with Tricky, with Max and Quay, and Tricky was <laughs> yeah. was like uh-huh. was like a descendant. He was a former member of Massive Attack, and right. and uh, he really came into his own on Max and Quay. But it's it's interesting pointing out Portishead because Portishead has sour times, not sour times, has a um, Glory Box off their last off of, of uh, Dummy that features a sample of um, of uh, oh what's this what's the song? It's um, the like the song that it's uh, sampled from. Yeah, it's it's um why am I drawing a blank on it? Um, Isaac Hayes. It's an Isaac Hayes Isaac sample. Isaac Hayes, right, 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 and um. And there's a sample of that on uh, Max and Quay with Hells Around the Corner, which uses that same exact sample that they used in in, um, in Glory Box. And, and, you know, any other artist would be like, oh, God, are going to rip that off? You're going to use the same thing? But he makes it into something totally his own as totally as cool. Um, right. Because it's, it's totally different. But it, it just shows you what how sampling can be done so many different ways. Um, yeah. Because he did a lot, did a lot of Max and Quay. He would like recycle lyrics that he used off of on Massive Attacks, um, on Protection. He would he would like take the lyrics and kind of slightly recycle them from like Karma Coma on Protection. He would take it and he would use it for Overcome on Max and Quay and kind of change them out a little bit. So he was doing some interesting uh, kind of uh, reintegrating sounds 
uh, right, right. And, oh, okay. Into new stuff, but it's, yeah, and you know, I need to listen to those records back to back now. It's really weird. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, I listened to uh, the record was Protection, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I listened to Protection so far out from listening to Max and Quay, and never really lined them up, you know, back, you know, back with each other, but. Yeah, that that that'd be an interesting like oral study, <laughs> I guess you might say. Maxi Quay's got so many weird samples. Like it's got like a, a sample off off of Gish by Smashing Pumpkins for a uh, pumpkin, obviously. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, just stuff like that. It's just really cool. I think that Maxi right. Quay is a really great, a really great album. And I guess if we're gonna touch on electronica and the British variety. We both wanted to throw a shout out to the Chemical Brothers, yes, wh- whose debut album Exit Planet Dust came out in 1995. Um, yeah, that's right. Which was a little nod to when they used to be called the Dust Brothers until they got uh, threatened with a lawsuit. <laughs> because, hey, you need to change your name. <laughs> because I don't know why they called themselves. I never understood why they called themselves that after they were inspired. It's strange, but uh, yeah, I mean. What a great album. Exit Planet Dust was just like a whole, you know. It, just... it to me, invent, it invented the big beat stuff that was, uh, you know, really about to happen over the next couple of years. I I got to be honest, I, I'm, I really put myself in, a, in especially this time, of, this time of the decade, I wouldn't necessarily put myself in the dance club portion of where I frequented, but I went, you know, I went a handful of times and I really could have sworn that I heard at least a couple of these songs, like, you know, leave home or something like that. I'm not sure what a, what, what a lead off single was on this, but, um, I could have sworn that I heard at least leave home, whatever. I, I, I went to like one of these, one of the dance clubs and, I got to tell you, the thing that was enticing to me about this was the way that the floor would just <clears throat> drop out whenever those those bass beats would happen. Mm-hmm. Good grief. And this to me, this was the band. This was the band that, that really set that tone. And I would hear it at least for the next two or three years. I, you know, and I went to go see him live and it was, you know, it's, it, I, you know, I get people that, that, that go, well, are, are you concerned about them not actually playing? I was like, I don't care. I don't care if they're playing. I, I, I came to see those guys show up. And so I feel fairly confident that they're doing the things that they're supposed to do to make sure that the, whenever that bass drops down, that that's exactly what they're doing. And man, what a freaking show. Yeah. I mean, it's just, they have that euphoria quality, euphoric quality. I think about like, absolutely. Like yeah. chem- chemical beats, the song that comes to mind. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just such a simple, oh, yeah. I mean, that's like such an archetypal techno song. Cause it has like, you know, the blah, 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 right. and it builds up and it builds yep. up and it builds up to that like orgasmic thing yep. where it hits the whole thing and it kicks back in again. That's like the whole, you know, blueprint of like what made a great electronic track back then was it had to have that like 
yeah. cl- climax at, at the middle and just got heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier until it just, you know, the beats started coming, flowing back into itself. And it's just so trippy. And uh, you had that song with uh, Life is Sweet, which is like, I guess, like their first single with uh, the yeah, Tim, Tim, yeah. Tim Burgess. Uh, from, Tim Burgess from mm-hmm. uh, The Charlatans. Mm-hmm. I was a, a huge fan of The Charlatans. A huge fan of The Charlatans. You know, seen them a couple times already at that point. And I was, was just head over heels with Charlatans for whatever reason. And I, I, you know, and by no means do I regret that because I, I, I'd still love to go see the Charlatans now, you know, but whenever, whenever the Chemical Brothers got Tim, Tim on board to do vocals, I'm like, (laughs) well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? You know? And yeah, that one, that one worked. That one worked so well. This record was a, a, a huge record. You know that you know that whole line in the High Fidelity where it's like, "Watch me sell five copies of Beta Band." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like, "Watch me sell five copies." Oh, ne- never mind. Watch me sell ten copies of The Chemical Brothers. <laughs> and sure enough, <laughs> I mean, I would sell twelve copies of Chemical Brothers within half an hour. Just it was just so infectious, you know. It was absolutely infectious. There, there was no way that that I did not. I, I fed a lot of the um, mid cities area with a lot of that. So I <laughs> you, you do, you do the Lord's work, sir. That's it. <laughs> I was such a huge fan of it at the time too. So, um, and and I, I, I had, I had zero, zero uh, reps from the record label. Until like two years later, that that were coming around, that were hitting me up for uh, what, what was going on with Chemical Brothers, and uh, let's see, I think it was Astral Works is, is the record label that they were on. Maybe mm-hmm. it was a year later, but um, yeah. So I think that's whenever I finally saw the Chemical Brothers is whenever I got free tickets from them, <laughs> or something like that. So, and, that, and that's another electronic act that you know people may not keep up with them anymore and they kind of fall out of favor but they still put out really good stuff i mean they've i mean i have heard at least six or seven albums of theirs through the 21st century and they're all have right. been, have, have been have been uh worth at least a track born or two in, born in echoes from uh guess a couple years ago i'm not sure when yeah, they came yeah out. that song with the, the beck song wide open great 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 song that record was awesome. I I I actually bought that on on uh, iTunes because that's that's what I use. Uh, but I bought that one on iTunes, and yeah, I I still pop it on every once in a while. It's just it's not it's not super often, but um, yeah, that that record still it it they hold up they hold up for me. I mean, you know that's. I mean, it's no, it's no Buddy Holly, you know, Peggy Sue or anything like that. But I, I, I think it, it, it still holds up, honestly. What a great snapshot! Great snapshot of 1995. And I think, um, if you had to pick an American artist who was really hitting that forefront of that year, you'd have to go with with Moby, with everything is wrong. Mm. 
which was his huge record. Yeah. That was like his first big, you know, um, release. You know, he, he, he'd been an early, you know, techno figure kind of in the, you know, on the underground and, and, and had a, a following as far as like in New York and all that, but everything is wrong was really, such a cool record because it was like I remember reading a, a interview, a review of it, and Spin saying it was like putting on a CD shuffle back when that was a thing, of like <laughs> a, 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 of like a bunch of different a bunch of different artists because it was like a just a a hodgepodge of so many different things because you've got like you got the trip hop kind of stuff like uh, real right. uh, real cool hive, but then you've got like. Um, this industrial metal from all I want is to be loved. And then right, you've right. got like neoclassical stuff like him. I mean, you've got so many, him. so many different things yeah. going on. God moving over the face of the waters, which is used in heat very dramatically. Um, it, all these instrumentals. And it's just, it's such a great, you know, he's been kind of a, he's been, he's turned into kind of a douche lately. I think like I've read a lot of interviews with Mobile recently yeah. that, 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 that have not, right. that, that, that have not pleased me. But his right. but his musical his musical talent. His musical output has, has has been certainly. I mean, this this certainly was uh, everything is wrong. Was really a, like a a good culmination of everything he'd done. Didn't he do the soundtrack to Heat? Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Well, they they used God is moving over the face of the waters okay. and Heat. Okay, so. that that's what it was. That's and, what it was. I, and, I, and and he did a cover. These a cover of his of New Dawn Phase that was in there also, so right okay 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 so, so that that's where I'm getting that from, but yeah I mean this was like really a, a a culmination for him at that point then because there were so many different sounds that he had yeah I, I remember that he it's when I was going to school in St Louis and he played up there and I was I was actually out of out of town on a trip. And my friend went and saw him and, and he said after the show with the finished and he goes, anything fun to do around this in the city, anything else to do? And my friend's like, yeah, there's a few places. He's like, can you take me and drive me around and show, show them to me? <laughs> so he was like, Moby's like, Moby's like a uh, uh, chauffeur for the evening, which was kind of cool. But uh, of course, that's I, funny. Of course I wasn't there for I, that. And you know what? Now, now that I think about it and, and re- re- recall it, I have a, a long sleeve hoodie sh- just t-shirt that I, that I used to wear back in the early nineties. And he played one of the edge fests that, that, you know, one of the local radio shows here. And, uh, I met him and he was like, do you want my autograph? And I was like, well, I, I, I really don't have anything. He was like, how about your shirt? <laughs> and so, he drew a little one of his little Moby guys on a shirt for me, and and put his name on it. I've never washed it since, but I still have it in in in, in my house somewhere, <laughs> maybe in a box. But he was a, he was a very nice nice guy to meet, and you know I, I I like you. I get a little fed up with him recently, but at the same time. Especially at that time, he was very approachable, and he not, was, and not, and, and and not as introverted. Like I don't want to meet people. Um, can we just wrap this up and move on? 
or but he wasn't like that. He was let me let me talk to some people and see what's going on in their lives, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I, I you know, and and I I just I, I I'm now recalling seeing the the play tour. And he was hanging out afterwards, and actually, I, I finally did get to meet him. But I, I had a few drinks, and yeah. I was, and I was asking why he never would play alone in the set. Now, a, <laughs> a, a, alone is off his follow-up album to "Everything Is Wrong" called "Animal Rights," which I think came out a year later. And "Animal Rights" was, was even weirder than "Everything Is Wrong." It had like punk stuff on it, but "Alone" was this really yeah. was this really beautiful, very mellow instrumental. And he goes, well, I probably didn't play because it, it was like an eight-minute-long instrumental, so people might have gotten bored. <laughs> I was like, I didn't think about that. Well, okay, well, yeah, you're probably right. That makes sense. <laughs> what a guy. But I mean, yeah. yeah. But yeah, uh, everything is wrong. It's great, great album, uh, and really kind of, kind of, kind of showed, you know, what kind of the the. It's- it is an electronic guy, an, an, another vision of an elect, a, a guy that's in electronics, you know, as far as the genre goes, in transition, much like what we were talking about with Aphex One. And I think that leads to another transition, which is if we're going to talk about all these new artists who are doing electronics, it's, it's worth talking about an older artist who kind of was inspired by those guys to make his own version of that. And that would be David Bowie with Outside who yes. was on your list of picks to discuss about yes, 1995. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, this is another one of those. It's, it's not my, it, it's not one of my favorite records of the decade or, or the year, but, or, or one of my favorite David Bowie records. And I, 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 I will say it's the only work that I saw from David Bowie. This was it. Now, the tour was with Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> so call it whatever you want. Uh, I wish I would do that. Works. But um, I saw Bowie and Nine Inch Nails on, on that tour, and it was really, really one of the first times that I actually thought that Bowie was not um, creating a future. I thought that he was kind of following within a sound, you know. I know he was working with uh, Brian Eno for that record, which that was a huge, huge story in and of itself, you know. And there was actually, I thought there was supposed to be like a another uh, triptych, you know, much like the, you know, Low Heroes Lodger storyline. Because there was supposed to be like a whole story that went, you know, followed up. I think the guy's name was Nathan Adler in, in the uh, outside, or uh, the character was Nathan Adler on outside. But um, it, it's, still a, it, it's still a really good album, and we can point out like a whole bunch of great stuff from it, <laughs> you know, like. You know, I'm afraid of Americans oh, yeah. being probably probably one of the one of the most well known out of it for sure. Um, I'm trying to think what else was on it. Um, hello, hello, Space Boy. Hello, hello, Space Boy. Which 
gotten really nice by working with Pet Shop Boys, didn't it? Yeah, it, it did. <laughs> Parts Filthy Lesson. Oh, yeah, but but that the uh, Pet Shop Boys remix was pretty cool, wasn't it? When, when I think about outside, I, I kind of get it. I kind of get that and Earthling kind of collide in my mind because they're, they're kind of similar. Yeah. But it, it also reminds me of that great 50th birthday concert that he did mm. where he performed Hello Space right. Boy with like all Foo Fighters. He had like three drummers. And then he, right. he did, uh, yeah, like Robert Smith and Frank Black and Sonic Youth. Just, that was such a cool, cool concert. I Bill, always think about what it is. Billy Corgan. Billy yeah. Corgan was up there too, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was. So, I mean, I mean, there, there was a, he had a heck of a 50th. It wasn't like my 50th, but, you know, hey, you know, he had a pretty good 50th, for yeah. sure. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, outside, so it's a good album, you know? I mean, it's like. I, yeah, I, I, I got to be honest. I, 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 I don't really hate this record. It, it's. It's certainly not not the one that I would tell you to go to first on on the David Bowie catalog for sure. That's that's not really the yeah. I, that's not what I'm trying to say here. But I, I I don't think people should hate it. As far as uh, I don't think David Bowie fans should hate it as much as it may be hated. And I'm not you know I'll be honest I'm not even sure if they hated that this much. You know, they may dislike black tie, white noise more than this. And that's, that's fine and fair. See, that, see, I would say after black tie, white noise, this is definitely a step back in the right direction. For, right. For, for, exactly. But, uh, you know, this to me, this, this record was more of, let me catch up to what's going on as far as the sounds, because he was already in uh, the UK around this time. So he knew about artists like Goldie, who had already been performing around the area for a couple of years. And so he had kind of been digging his digging his next his next motivation for a little bit. So somewhere between the Pixies and Goldie, I think this is where he and Brian Eno may have I don't I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure where to go with it, but I think it's worth noting that David Bowie put out a fucking record in 1995 and we should all know about it and at least support it because you know what? It's David Bowie. No, I, I, I have, I have very few negative things to say about outside. I thought it was really, I really, liked it back then. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, I, I tell you that I'm, I'm really pissed. I didn't go to that tour. I really regret not going to that. I forget the reason why I didn't go to that, but I, it's 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 on my top. I'm not sure if he played Texas again after that. I'm not sure if he did. I think it was just. He, you know what? He may he may have played because his his the next studio album that he would tour for would have been Reality, but I'm not sure if he stepped in Texas for that. Somebody else can correct you if, or correct me via. A, a comment for you so i'm not sure if that happened or not but that may have been his last texas show and i saw it in 1995 out at some field <laughs> with a stage with Danich nails and oh there was an opening band called prick oh yeah prick i remember prick yeah yeah prick 
was it bad actually? I like yeah, yeah. They were on a. I like them. <laughs> they, they, they were on a Trent Reznor's label on the on the Nothing label. Yes, on the Nothing label. Yeah, which is probably why they got chosen to be part of that tour. Well, I guess if we're going to talk about Trent Reznor, we might as well, it makes a, a, a perfect little segue into Filter, who had, uh, their, yeah. had their debut album, Short Bus, which came out in 1995. And of course, yep. Hey Man, Nice Shot was a huge hit. <laughs> huge, huge hit. And, uh, Man, that was a big hit, wasn't it? Massive. And Short Bus is a really kind of a funky album, though. I, 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 uh, I always kind of dug it because it was just these two, you know, former Nine Nails uh, folks that went their own way and kind of had this really weird meld of like industrial, but also grunge and metal. Um, you know, his voice kind of Richard Patrick's voice kind of reminds you of Trent Reznor at times, but it's still it's still its yeah. own thing. It's yeah. it's kind of like Trent Reznor meets Perry Farrell. It's it's kind of got that kind of I'll go with that yeah. s- sound to it. Um, but Short Bus is is, is no one of those they're no one of those bands that get called a one hit wonder. But there's a lot of stuff on Short Bus that that people don't remember, or you know, it's like uh, Under, which is a really great, it's a really great industrial, heavy ass kind of dancey rocker. Which if anyone is has not, if, if anyone out there likes Filters, Hey Man, Nice Shot, and hasn't heard Under. I advise you to immediately go to YouTube and check it out because it's fucking awesome. And then you've also got, uh, I think dose, which was like their little anti organized religion screed, which was, uh, right. and then you got, um, Oh, what's the one St- stuck, stuck in here, which is like their kind of their metal little ballad. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird album because it's, it's very uh, intimate. They kind of just cradled it in bits and pieces in this little home studio that they concocted. Um, and they would, you know, filter would go on to kind of be more of a big, uh, I guess, less quirky, kind of more mainstream, uh, rock act. But I think that short bus has got some cool stuff going on with it. And, uh, it's a song that's really great turned up. I know a lot of people thought, Hey man, nice shot was about Kurt Cobain. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was not, it was. It was about. Yeah, was it? It, what was that? It was about that. It was that that politician. There's actually a documentary on him on Amazon Prime, oh. uh, who who uh, killed himself. Uh, but Bud but Bud Dwyer, Bud yeah. and yeah. Uh, Bud Dwyer. Yeah. yeah, it's about him. But um, you know, only in the '90s could a song called "Hey Man, Nice Shot" about suicide become a big hit. You know, that just shows you that was just the decade of weirdness that it was. That it's just. You know. Well, I mean, you know, Kurt Kurt was so so fresh in, in, in the mind at that point, so they they were just trying to well let's see. Well oh no, that came out in ninety five, so yeah, it would have been ninety four. Yeah. That that very well could have been falsely reported, so yeah, you know, whatever. But I, I remember seeing seeing Filter on, on touring for this album at, at this uh club and and he was like Here's, oh, did you yeah and of course they waited they closed it with hey man nice shot he goes this is the one you've been waiting for i'm sure the one when, when, right? when, you, when you showed up here for it's like what is your first album nobody knows who the fuck you are so the, yeah right. it's just the song people want to hear <laughs> right that, 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 that would make sense 
Just the way he right. said it, like he was like. I'm, I'm not sure if I've listened to this record since 1995, honestly. So, I, I, I I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it again. It's been a long, long, long time since I've listened to it. Yes, yeah, very it's, long. I don't listen to Filter very often, but I, whenever I kind of revisit them, I'm always like, oh yeah, these guys have some good stuff. Um, yeah. Wow, they were working. Yeah. They were, were working on a reunion reunion album this year with or last year with uh, Brian Lee's gang who left after this album, and it kind of became the Richard Patrick Show. And it was like the, the big, like long way to follow up to Short Bus with them both together. But then that the crowdfunding thing fell apart, and so they're not going to do it. So kind of a shame because I was want to interview one of those guys about that, but that won't happen. But Short Bus got some good stuff on there. Short Bus, there you go. Yeah. And another... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, where to next? Where to next? Well, one band I want to just... Because if I don't think about them now, I'm, I'm going to forget. Um, a very quirky little band, near and dear to my heart, came out with a stoner rock masterpiece in 1995. No, right. it's, it's not Caius, although... That album <laughs> from this year was very, very good. But I have to give good. I have to give the the, the Stone and Rock Anthem Year or Album of the Year award to that year to Monster Magnet for Dopes to Infinity, which is one of my favorite albums ever. It was I, I had heard of Monster Magnet, but I hadn't actually like heard them until I right. saw I saw the video for Negasonic Teenage Warhead. I'm like, okay, these guys are my new are my new favorite band. <laughs> There's like sense of humor here. They, they're quoting Jack Kirby. They've got like comic book stuff going right. on here. <laughs> they got heavy, heavy rock. Uh, there's a sense of humor to it. Uh, it was it was engineered by Alan Mulder. I mean, they had all it ticked all the right boxes for me for what I wanted to hear in 1995. I was like, this is something that I'm going to really enjoy, and thus became one of my favorite bands, Monster Magnet. Um, uh, Dope's to Infinity is one of those albums that wasn't even really a hit. Uh, I mean the big the biggest hit it had was Negasonic Teenage Warhead, and that was right. ve- very minor. Uh, they didn't get popular until a few years later with uh, Power Trip and Space Wars, what made them famous. Yeah. But for yeah. the for the for the diehard fans, this is like their one of their first their first real masterpiece, in my opinion, because you've got like there's like stuff with theremins on it, and you've got uh, <laughs> yeah. you know stuff that references Marvel comics. You've got a song called uh, "Dead Christmas" is that when the lyric says, "I said fuck you on Christmas," and then you put <laughs> put, put me to bed, stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> Dave, Dave Dave Windorf for me, I've interviewed him twice, and he's the he's a he's one yeah, of the, yeah. he's one of the coolest yeah. guys I've ever talked to. He's he's my one of my favorite musicians ever. <laughs> I just think there's something about that guy that 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 I I get. Yeah, you know, it's like this. I understand him. I know where he's coming from. He's just got a really weird take on things. And uh, I just think Dope's Infinity. I don't know if you're a fan of them or not, but I think Dope's Infinity is a really man. fun rock record. Man, I gotta tell you, I think, I think this record, my intro, this was my introduction to them for sure. And I could have sworn, and and oh, I don't know if it's gonna correct me on this, but man, they were selling this record for like five ninety nine. So I'm like, man, I heard Negasonic Teenage Warhead. How much worse can it get? So I just bought the record for, you know, five bucks or five, you know, you know, seven bucks, whatever it was. 
And I was like, man, this, this fucking record is awesome. It's just, and I played, I played the crap out of it at, at the store uh, that I was working at. But I mean, the nineties were a hard sell for metal. They just they were. were really hard for something that was heavy. Less- they just, I mean, and I'm not even saying just metal. If you were heavy or weird, you're a tough sell. You just are. And I tried to move this record as much as I could. I'm not sure how many copies I did sell. Um, it's not. It's it. It was not Chemical Brothers at the time. But um, you know, whenever you hit that that right that right uh, clientele on this one, this this sunk this one sunk in, and because that that sludgy stoner rock was, I mean, let's be real that 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 hadn't been a a, a big thing probably since you know Sabbath and in, in, in the early or you know late late seventies or whatever it was you know so. Or early seventies, so I mean, it was, it was new. It was a new sound to a lot of people who, who may not have, who were typically more thrash metal or, um, in, in in the speed rock, and so then whenever they found something that that was still heavy, I mean, I mean, and I mean heavy, and it wasn't at, at a blazing speed. It wasn't Slayer. It wasn't her maiden or anything like that but they they could wrap their arms around this but there weren't many and this was this was a great record and i liked it but man it was a tough tough sell back then it's weird too because like grunge was very there was obviously a stoner element to it yeah i mean, I mean there's a you know bands like soundgarden and alice in chains had clear black sabbath right. influences but Stoner Rock in itself, and Caius is, is was in the same boat where they were like revered by a group of musicians, but they weren't really known. Oh uh, yeah! Until after they broke up, it's one of those things where after they broke up, the mythos kind of started in Queens of the Stone People Age. Were like, oh wait, you know, have, have you heard of Caius? And, and I and I think they and Monster Magnet were both in that same boat where it's like it, it would if you were a fan of Soundgarden and you had some patience, you would it would appeal to you, but you had to find it. But all I got to say is if you are a rock fan, put on Dopes to Infinity. Listen to that opening riff to that title track. If that opening riff doesn't do something to you, something is wrong with you. You need help. Because that opening riff is like just so, oh my God, it's so good. It's just so, so heavy and deep. And, you know, you also got like Look to the Orb for Your Warning, which was on the Matrix soundtrack. Um, just the weird oddball lyrics. I just, everything about monster magnet was just, it was right in my wheelhouse. I was like, these guys are weird. They're into comic books. They like right. metal. They're also kind of have a little weird, like experimental alternative bent to them. It was perfect. I just, and I'm still a huge fan of those guys. Yeah. I'm right there with you. It was just metal. in that in the mid nineties was such a weird, weird place to be. Unless Such you were, a weird place to be. Unless you were Pantera, you were kind of looking yeah, at Yeah, I mean, and, and, and yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, because, you know, for me, one of the things that I, you know, I thought I'd, I'd point out was, and this is an underground band, but death, 
they they, oh, they yeah. put out a record called Symbolic that year, and it was another one of those technical masterpiece records. But you know, metal was so not <laughs> so not part of the scene at that point. I mean, it you know at, after Far Beyond Driven, that's that's kind of that's kind of where where it stopped us for a, a, a few years, but um, the underground scene really wrapped their their head around death whenever they put out a record. And, and I, I think I've, I've uh, mentioned them back maybe what would have been a, a, a couple of years before with, uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think, in, in individual thought patterns may have been the record from like a couple of years ago from them. But this was just another continuation. It was still it was still technical and uh, melodic within a sense, and it you know still still that you know growly vocal. And they would only put out one more record before uh, the 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 lead vocalist would would pass away from cancer, actually. And so, um, but this is this is probably you know symbolic from death is is I would think that there would be other records from death that rate highly in the crowd for uh people that appreciate the band death but this one always seems to kind of come up this one and the last one and and, and maybe the last one is just because it's the last record that that Chuck uh his, his name was Chuck Schindler or something like that Schindler yeah, Schollinger or something like that. Schollinger or something like that. But but he uh, he was really the, the 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 mastermind with this with this whole project. So he ended up passing away from like cancer or something like that back in back in the the mid nineties or something like that. So you know you know just to let everybody know, it wasn't like drugs or something. You know, I think it's a documentary but, about him on Amazon Prime too. I think I saw. Oh, is there really? I think so. Is there really? Amazon Prime is like is like the gold mine of of wow. rock docs. I mean, they they've got one about a oh. What's, That's something I've always bugged about, um, or been bugged about with on Netflix is is the lack of uh, documentaries on on on, on music. Yeah, th- th- because there's like nothing, nothing. Th- I mean, there's there's tons of there, there's tons of like concert films and things like that. Does anybody do that? Well, I, I will say there's one. We're going off topic here, but there is one on Netflix that's worth watching about ZZ Top. They added last month. That's really mm. really good. But on Amazon, right. but on Amazon Prime, they they just added the uh, Mystify about Michael Hutchins, which is really good. Okay. Great. Yeah. Great documentary about Michael Hutchins. I mean, they 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 nailed it. So highly recommend it. We're way yeah. off to- topic here, but yeah. I just had to throw that in there because I've been I've been binge watching a lots of music documentaries lately while I work. It kind of is my yeah. my yeah comfort food. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let me let me just actually touch on the hum hum record actually. Okay. Because the one that. Um, I still just adore is is the hum record because 
it was it it was literally that that Lollapalooza ninety five, which I mean that that was a year that Beasties, uh, Sonic Youth, um, uh, is that right? Is it the Beasties play that? Um, anyway, but yeah, I think you're right. Those 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 kids from um, I believe Champaign, Illinois, uh, ended up playing uh, Lollapalooza, and they were a side, you know, just one of those side stage acts or anything like that. But good lord, I have not. I, I still nonstop, honestly, listen to that record. It is. It's so freaking. It, it's like if. Weezer weren't cool. I'll put it like that. And by that meaning, it's it's just it's still heavy and it's still melodic, but nobody pays attention to them. And there's a lot from from Hum that needs to be. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to get to their their little page here so that I can. Pass them out because I, you know, I, I believe they're from they're from Champaign, Illinois, but I'm having a hard time finding them. Band. Nope. Band. There they are. Yeah, Champaign, Illinois. And they're still trying to uh, um, keep keep their um, fire alive right now. But that first record they, that they put out, you prefer an astronaut, or well, really, it's a first major a first major label record mm-hmm. was you prefer an astronaut but everybody knows stars that that came out of that but um i'd like your hair long is a it is it, a fantastic burner of a song um it it kind of kind of um straddled a little bit of shoegaze with yeah for sure heavy you know with with just heavy alternative that was going on at the time and so man i i still have my shirt from them see and i still freaking listen to this record but man they 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 still they still burn up my world well i i think see Hum, here's an example. This is one of those times where I'm guilty of being the person that that kind of didn't explore this band past their hit. And I've I've had many friends who are Utah fans who are like, yeah, check these guys out more. And like I, I remember hearing their album one time at a friend's house during a party. But Stars is such a great song. Um, just what gets me about that about that song particularly is just how loud the guitars are. Just yeah, the size of that 
of those guitars and that it's just so and then when it gets really quiet and it goes back in it kicks back in it's just the production on it is really good yeah um, it really is and hum's a band i need to really explore more and check out when i'm like on spotify and stuff because i know i'll dig it it's just one that you know there's just those bands you just don't always get to and that's one of those bands i haven't i haven't got to that i need to um but uh yeah i mean those guys you know, a mass quad. I know, I know the Deftones were very influenced by Hum. Uh, so there was, they had a lot of, a lot of fans. And I think that, uh, well, and I, I think the Deftones are, are, are sort of in the same sort of cloth that it, cloth that is cut, uh, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, because they, they, they still have, you know, uh, Deftones put out Adrenaline that year. That's and right. So there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of similarity within a sense. They it it's just going on different paths. You know the and this is all about perception too. But the guys in the Deftones look different from the guys and home. And you know the the guys at home look like that they were the last guys picked in the softball tournament. <laughs> and I mean, I, you know, and, but the guys in the Deftones, yeah, you know, like four, you know, three or four of them may have been, you know, picked kind of early on, but nobody in the depth, you know, uh, uh, in home. Yeah. They weren't going to be picked, <laughs> but they were so sonically awesome. And I loved, I loved uh, You'd Prefer an Astronaut over and over and over. I still listen to it. I'll, I'll probably listen to it after we get out, get out of here. Little Dipper, The Pod, Stars, all of it. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make it my goal to yeah. put them in my rotation. And, and, and get that, on, get that on. word is heavenward is not as strong, but it's still a good record. It's fine. But this is this is a burner. I love this one. And an, an album from that year that really kind of another that fell through the cracks because it's, it's an older band that didn't really uh, get heard a lot, and but it has I think kind of garnered acclaim is Swans the Great Annihilator. Yeah, um, the they managed <laughs> to put out one of one of their best albums in my opinion. Um, yeah came out in 1995 and it sounds just as disturbing and powerful as anything they've, they've done up to that point. Of course they would go on to do, I, I mean, to me, their best work has been in the 21st century, which is really unique for a band that's been around that long, but create annihilator from like the title track to, uh, uh, Hollywood. Was it the, uh, Oh, is it Hollywood lifestyle or what is that song? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Um, yep. It's yep. Just, it's yep. Just, yep. You're right. You're right. It's just, there's just so many good, good tracks on there. Really moody. I don't want to get into it too deep because we're kind of running long, but that's one I wanted to touch base on. And uh, another one that we want to. solid record, man. It is. And I think, you know, we were talking about the nineties had so many different sounds. You, know, you had your grunge, you had your Britpop, you had your shoegaze, you had your. Electronica, one band managed to combine all those sounds on one album, 
1995. And that group is Garbage. Oh, oh, oh yes. Butch, yeah, Butch, Garbage. Yeah. Garbage yeah. Is, is a band full of super producers, primarily Butch Vig, who, of course, was known for producing Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins, which we're going to get to, and a bunch of other records. But this was like his band that he put together. And, of course, Shirley Manson on vocals. And what they managed to do was use their production skills to make some of the coolest sounding. <laughs> just just any garbage album is a feast for the ears. But the first one really is just uh, so much good stuff. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff on that record. Just musically, sonically, um, vocally. It, it's just, uh, you know, you, you have Queer, which is, of course, a great single. And then you've got like the more deep cuts like Milk or yeah. uh, Fix Me Now, you know, just it's there's it, only happen when it rains, of course, is a Stone Cold classic. Um, I somehow they managed to like copy a Cheese Mary Chain lyric, but make a song that's just as good or 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 maybe even better than, than the song that they were kind of alluding to. But uh, yeah, I mean, what else? I don't know what else I could really say about Garbage debut album stuff it was just so strong and it just really showed that butch vig just knew what the hell was going on he just i mean from the guys he picked and then picking shirley manson was a stroke of genius because she has such a unique voice that that record that record was absolutely everything at, at at that point because it was it was feeding off of so many different musical styles and most importantly, at that point, it was a totally sexy record, too, because of um, picking out Shirley Manson, who was fairly unknown at the time, honestly, mm-hmm. Very was unknown. was 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 really was really just a a, a, a a boss move. But he worked in just enough or, or they all worked in. I mean, because you're talking about it's practically like a group of people that had had done production work a lot, and so they knew they knew hooks, they knew the way to make pop music, alternative music to pop music, or whatever you want to call it at that time, and and so them bringing Shirley into the the, the mix, I mean. That was that was just brilliant, honestly. And so their 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 song structure and what they were the what what they were able to piece together as far as making this like an actual group is pretty amazing, honestly. Because I mean, think about that: you got three different types of producers in the same room. I mean, I'm not talking about ego all that much, but you know, Butch might have been like, "So, uh, you guys ever heard of Nirvana?" Yeah, or the Pumpkins. <laughs> you know, yeah, I did that, <laughs> and you know, and and that's just from Butch. The other guys, the other guys had had fair enough. You know, I I couldn't tell you exactly where where they were from or or who they are, but. I know that 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 was their background, so you know 
This was a great record all the way through, front to back. And 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 I know that you know for a certain degree of music snobs who like to talk about how much garbage ripped off Curve. I've heard that from several people. It's like, oh, they stole Curve sound. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I, I I I can I can hear an influence there, but I'm sorry to say, and this may upset those the one Curve fan out there. They have better songs. They just were stronger songs. <laughs> They just were the and, one curve fan, and and and, and I, you know, I, I thought I, I like I curve, curve. I, 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 and I love curve, but you know, if if curve wanted to do something different, that they would have been garbage. They didn't. Curve curve put out records per what they were, and you know, th- th- there's no fault in that. I loved Curve, and, 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 and they did their own thing. But if Curve wanted to do the sound of garbage, then they would have already done that. Because Curve, had, I think they were like a year or two ahead of that. So, and, and at I, least a year. And I think Garbage clearly were a band that were going to be, they wanted to be stars. I mean, they were... They were I mean, look, Butch Vig isn't going to be in a band that just like sits around and just you know, fiddles of fingers. Yeah, he he wants. He, know, he oh, wants. I hope I I hope I hope we're okay. You know, Butch Vig is going to make sure that we're, we're we're doing pretty awesome. So I mean, I, and and I'm not trying to knock Curve because I think that 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 team that was over there was was really good, but you know. You guys, you guys didn't, didn't, and, and like I said, I still love Curve, but who, who, who produced? Never mind. And and I also will say that you know, there's a lot of also a lot of talk that you know, Garbage is just a studio band because they can't do that stuff live. I've seen Garbage live, right. and, and they're an amazing hey. live act. So are they? So I. I, I saw them for this for this tour actually. I saw them for the tour for this first album, and I thought they were fantastic. So, um, I wish I'd seen them. I never did see them. I, w- so, I wish I'd seen yeah. them more than once. But the time I saw them, they were fantastic. I saw them at the Bomb Factory actually in Dallas, and, oh, uh, yeah. and it was it was a really good gig. It, do we should we segue from female singers and talk about Bjork's album of that year? Oh, we could we could for sure. Because that was a that was a most hated record from my wife. Because <laughs> I told her I was like, should I should I talk about Bjork? And then she just rolled her eyes. She does not like Bjork or anybody from this from this whole. You know, she was not a Sugar Cubes fan or anything. But I got to tell you, I think that post is an absolutely game-changer for female vocalists. I just think it is. I think it, it gave, you know, where, where P.J. Harvey was was right, you know, kind of in, in, in the same breadth of it. But I think between Bjork and P.J. Harvey, you have to put them along the same lines. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I could, I could, I could see that. And she had, they had, she had Amethyst. Nothing, nothing since, nothing since Kate Bush. Now, remind me what were the, what were the big hits off this Bjork album? Was this the one with, um, with Human Behavior? Was that? So, um, this had Army of Me. Army of Me. That's right. That's right. Um, Hyper Ballad was, was like, um, uh, one of the big hits off of it. Uh, possibly maybe I think was one of the, the, one of the big ones. I'm going to say this wrong, but I'm going to say it how I think she says it on it, but Isobel. Okay. You know, um, same thing with, uh, I miss you. Those were all just, they, they fell in line with a lot of what was going on kind of in the trip hop wise of what was, what was happening over in uh, Europe at the time. I, I, I honestly think that there was a lot of production work that was um, shared at that. So, um, gosh, there's so much stuff on this record. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This, oh, yeah. this is absolutely amazing. This is the- Nellie Hooper, I think. I'm trying to uh, uh, Nellie Hooper, and I'm trying to think who was he with. Um, this was the um where, where where she did the uh, it's oh so quiet yeah oh, yeah the, the the which is also sound, yeah. sound like some off a Broadway musical very uh mm-hmm. so unique exactly. But yeah, this this record was, I think, it was a very very important record. Should we hit the uh, last big two? The last big two, I think it's where we're at. I know we've got a All mu- right, a, mu- a mutual favorite, which we'll save for the top spot. But before that, I will have to give some love and attention towards the Smashing Pumpkins' "Melancholy" and the "Infinite Sadness." It was yes, probably. Yes the most ambitious album of that decade. Um, I read an article with Billy Corgan saying that while he had an idea for a double album, he didn't realize that when you make a CD, you're basically making enough for a triple album. So it's basically three albums <laughs> worth, worth, worth of music because there, there are very few double CDs uh, releases. You've got Nine Inch Nails, The Fragile, and a few others, but really uh, Melancholy was... in my. You know, and the, the the flaming lips that one he had to play the four different CD players, whatever the crazy shit that was. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, melancholy and the infinite sadness was you know extremely ambitious. It was the follow up to Siamese Dream, which we both agreed was the best album of nineteen ninety three. Yeah, and absolutely for a lot of Pumpkins fans, melancholy is the best album. I don't agree with that. I still think Siamese Dream is the best. But I do think Melancholy yeah. is a really good album. I think the only issue with Melancholy is doing the double album format is that I think there's some songs that I think you can't help but like if they only come out at night or or uh, uh, there's no doubt that Melancholy. I I, I remember where we came out and I thought 
your third records have got a album. What kind of an asshole are you? Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> that was the, my first thought. The, the gall. And, you know, from, from, from the, I mean, the abs, I mean, going with just two years or, or three years, you know, previous, uh, from hearing Gish, I mean, because Gish was just a, it was just, it was a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And they Im- they improved on it completely with, you know, with Siamese String. Siamese String is still, and, and like you just said, it's still one of, it's still one of my favorite records, period. From, and, and oh, oh, by the way, Butch Vig produced. That's right. Siamese String. Um, but it, you know, mechanically, melodically, everything about um, Siamese Dream was absolutely perfect. There's nothing wrong with that record. There, there isn't. And which... but, but then they put out Siamese Dream, and and I heard it was going to be a double album. I was like, double album? What the, what the, what the flip are these guys doing? I have no idea what's going on here. You know, I, I I didn't understand it. I was like, that doesn't make any sense because, you know, really for me, it, it you know, it came down to well, at that point, sales. How much are going to ha- am I going to have to sell this record for? Well, I mean, because double albums at the time were like twenty twenty four twenty six ninety nine list price, you know, and. I don't know if I'm going to move that many records from you guys if I put it at a sale price of $19.99. I just, I, I didn't understand it. I understand why they would put out a double record right now. Why can't you just like cut it up into like two different records and sell each other for like $10.99 each or something like that? So a whole bunch of shit. But, you know, once again, this is one of those things where it's like the business part of me doesn't understand their work. But it sounded to me like Billy Corgan was really hell-bent on this being a uh, double album. Yeah, it was like he, you know, basically throwing down throwing down the gauntlet saying we're going to we're not only going to, yeah. you know, we're going to be bigger than we were before. We were already big. And to me, the biggest surprise about this was changing producers because Butch Vig had been such a great fit for them. Uh, right. But, but then they went with Flood, who, of course, is another fantastic producer. They some of our favorite albums. So I was, oh. immediate, I was immediately intrigued. And, you know, I mean, Melancholy has got some amazing songs on it. Uh, I think Melancholy is one of those albums that it's just got so many different things going on with it that yeah. it's got a little bit of everything. I mean, it's got, you know, big ballads like Tonight Tonight, which is one of the, still one of their best songs. It's a beautiful, the strings, all of it, the arrangement, just flawless. But then you've got like the heavy hitters like Zero, you know, and you've got the, the deep cuts like uh, Galap- Galapagos or uh, Through the Eyes of Ruby. Um, right. Or Selena, a lot of great, really dense prog rock kind of stuff. But then you've got the grungy stuff like, uh, Oh to no one and things like that. 
Um, and then 1979, which is, you know, just a fantastic That's a pop. Crowd That's a fa- certain crowd pleaser for sure. Yeah, fantastic pop song. Um, but like I said, the only really fault I find with, with Melancholy is that there's some tracks, like like I was saying earlier, that, you know, just some things seem a little superfluous and trying to pad on. You know, you could probably shave about six songs off there that were. Yeah. But the good ones are so good. And the decent ones are so decent that you really can't fault it because you know it's 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 a it's a iconic piece of art that's you know it's it's their best selling album. Yeah, um, I know. And I think the biggest fault I, I find with 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 Melancholy versus uh, Siamese Dream and Gish and and which fall with all the Pumpkins albums afterwards is the vocals. Yeah. Somehow, somehow Butch Vig knew how to produce Billy Corgan's vocals to where it was kind of like, I don't know if he buried it under the guitar or he, the guitar ladder with, with Flood, his vocals are front and center. And it kind of made me realize he is a more limited singer than I thought that he was. Um, yeah. Butch Vig had a way of making him sound more dynamic and more, and, and under Flood, it sounded very nasal and very thin. So that was kind of like a, a shocker to me when I heard the album. I was like, wow. He sounds really yeah. diff- different on here. Yeah. But the songs were so strong. You got songs like Love and um, even the Prince thing, Beautiful uh, by Starlight. There's just a, a lot of a lot of stuff on there to, to, to love as a Pumpkins fan. And it kind of made you, you know, although I understand the people who were like, kind of didn't get them going for the neo 80s thing. They sure were ahead of the curve on that one. With like 1979 and stuff like that, like bringing the synths in right. to, to like rock, yeah. you know, they, they were yeah. definitely, you know, because of course they were eventually going to make a door next, which was like a totally electronic. So even they were kind of moving into that, into that arena, but I've got nothing but, you know, I, I, I got the uh, deluxe edition of melancholy a few years ago. It's got tons of cool well, stuff on it. I think in, uh, in, I think they placated enough part of uh, the regular uh, alternative fan with like you know bullet butterfly wings and oh yeah you know and and and, and things like that um, tonight tonight I mean if if you're just talking about longevity of uh, you know of of like sales of of, of an album. I think it was way too bold of a move for them uh, on a personal level for knowing what the market was at that time. But at the same time, you know what? That paid off for them. I believe it paid off completely for them. They were, they were selling records left and right. I mean, it's a smashing pumpkins. This was 1995. Uh, People had a lot more, or, you know, the, the kids had a lot more exposable income to be able to go out and, and get these records. And where it could have been chopped up into a couple of different records and, and, and some and some parts kind of like, you know, moved out to a B-side here and there or whatever. You know, that's, that's not for me to, to uh, decide on it, but... Um, this this was after you know after I listened to Siamese Dream, this was for me a letdown, honestly, because there was 
a quarter of the record that I really felt as a fan. But you know, at the same time, I'm 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 just a guy that's trying to sell your record, and at that point, those people are going to buy your record anyway. I thought that the album was fine, but as far as being a two album, <laughs> a two CD record, man, wow, what guts you have! You, you that can't... was a gutsy. Freaking move. That was gutsy. You can't say they don't have chutzpah, as they say. No, no, not at all. Well, you you know it's really funny. You know it's really funny. Go ahead. You're making a double album right now. (laughs) All right. They're currently making one right now as we speak. Oh my god. Oh my gosh! Wow! Okay, you know what? It. They're, they're gonna do it again. They're gonna do it again. That's fine. You know what? You're in a time and age right now. Doesn't matter. You are in a time and age to where double albums. No, double album at this point is like I have limited press. You know, seven hundred copies of this. And you know, uh, putting it out in double albums is, is 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 a much different thing now. Back then, it was like, wow, a double album from these guys, wow! But we sold a crap ton of those. It was crap. huge, and I yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's a lot of good stuff on there. A lot of good stuff. I would have put it out as, I mean, I'm not part of their their focus group at that point, but, and we're talking, oh, I'm sorry, how many years later? (laughs) (laughs) But I would have done, done it a little different, but those guys, those guys had enough people behind them. To figure it out, so you know, it still it still has a lot of lot of awesome awesome material on it. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, and it's you know the production is still great. I mean, vocals yeah, aside, absolutely. There's some really amazing sounds going on there. Um, they got their big widescreen sound on that album. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Very different from what came before. Definitely stood out among the rest, and it was and it was their last. It was their last major album. Um, yeah, they would never hit those heights again. That's this was like the height of their career. Melancholy. This was it. Yeah. And so that we have true. we have only one album left on our twenty five best from twenty five years ago. And usual. This is a high mutual. High mutual. We 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 figured this was this one we had to go out on it, and this would be Radiohead's sophomore album, The Bins, which came out in nineteen ninety five. Known best for the uh, singles "Fake Plastic Trees," "Street Spirit," and "Just." And uh, for anyone who was concerned or thought that 
they were going to be a flash in the pan, one hit wonder with creep. This was a big reminder that these guys were, were really just getting started as far as their career was concerned. And, uh, definitely sh- showed them kind of experimenting and trying out new sounds and just, yeah. just kind of going for it. My, my story on this is that it was, um, December 31st at, um, my record store and, uh, Barton Creek mall at, at, at the music land there. And I was running through the, the, the billboard magazine that we got that year or that week. Cause we always got billboard magazine always sent to us. And uh, in, in, in that magazine, uh, Capitol Records had taken out an ad saying, um, you know, it was, it was all about uh, uh, little headlines about certain albums, you know, well, and not, not just Capitol, but all, all, all the albums or, or all the record labels did. And uh, Capitol Records took one out on uh, Radiohead, the Benz. And in one of the quotes, because they had a page, and I wish it still had the page, um, but one of the pages, it said, this year's Joshua Tree. <laughs> now, I had, I, had a, I had a guy that I was working with that night, because, you know, we're leaving early. We're leaving, like, you know, 6 o'clock at night. He was like, hey, have you seen this? I know you like you too, and I was like, okay, so you too. I mean, it's, they they didn't put out a record this year, you know. Said Radiohead, the Bends. I was like, oh, okay, that record. And he said that it quoted in it that this year's, you know, this year's Joshua Tree for being Radiohead, the Bends. I was like. Really? You know, and I hadn't heard a thing off of that record. Nothing. And so I went over, and the days of the 90s, and you just walk over, you pick out the record, and you put it on. So I spent my New Year's Eve with me, a bottle of wine, and Radiohead the Bend. Because I didn't have anywhere to go that night. And that was absolutely fine with me. So this record means absolutely the fucking world to me. It's like a lot of these that made made our list. It's one of those albums that when it came out, it wasn't quite as revered as it is now. Um, Yeah. It did pretty well. Exactly. It did pretty well in the UK, but not so much so here, even though it had several hit singles. Um, But it really has... uh, I think, you know, grown with time as far as its legend is concerned, but there's just, there's not a bad song on it. Um, <laughs> there's not. And it's just, there's it's, not. It's I mean, se- I mean so for well. me, it, you know, and, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of times whenever you can pinpoint situational times in your life to where records, I mean, more than they should be. 
but this this record this record meant the meant the world to me because I would end up moving out of a a, a fairly sour situation within like a couple months, but this record actually kept kept me in good spirits and as 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 dire it, as it may sound at times, but it kept me in, in good spirits. And I would get back to where where I needed to be at that time. And this is one of those records. Yeah, it just it hits all those sweet spots that Radiohead, you know, does when they're at their best, that sense of yeah. wistfulness and and bites and, you know, sorrow and just all of it, you know. A tremendous transition for the band itself. Tremendous for them, you know, being just what most people threw away as a wonder with creep with actually giving them depth and emotion and there was a lot there was a lot of a, a lot of stuff going on with this band than just feeling like a creep and I remember when it came out because people kind of were like what happened right ahead oh yeah here's this new album and and Pink Plastic Trees came out people were like oh okay and then but the more you dug into it the more you listened to it that's when it really it kind of got his charms became apparent. It it, it wasn't yep. one. It wasn't one that you, you could just listen to one time. And go okay, this is good album. You had to really get into it. I think to really appreciate it because there's so many different layers going on and and uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's you, we can, we we've discussed Radiohead a lot on this podcast as far as our opinions of them. Me defending Pablo Honey and discussing about how they've you know, turned to something completely evolved so far beyond the bins. But this is the, this is the iteration of the band that, that is near the dearest to my heart when it was more guitar based, more anthem based. And, and this is just one of those albums where they really are nailing that, but also starting, just starting to show the experimental stuff that you would really would see and more fruition on. Okay. Computer and going forward. Yeah. Little, little hints, hints of that. From like the intro, from um, what was the first the first song on the album with that weird piano effect? Um, <laughs> what was the first the first track? Um, Planet Telex. Oh, yeah. Planet Telex. Yeah, yeah. It's stuff like that. Just a weird little stuff like that, or like the kind of the milky weird sounds of Black Star, the or Bulletproof. I wish I was just stuff like that. There's just a lot of good stuff on there. Like I said, yeah. there, there's not a bad song. I mean, if I had to pick a favorite, it's really hard. Um, I really like "Nice Dream" a lot. That's kind of one of <laughs> "Nice Dream" is good. As, as far as like the the unobvious stuff, that is really really strong. Yeah, yeah. That is that that's a strong one to go with for sure. I mean, there's man, this record was so transitional for the for those guys to where I'm not sure if they felt freedom but it, it feels like it does you know it feels like they 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 actually had freedom 
Yeah. Yeah. It was, this was like their, I think this is the first album they made where they really felt like they had some kind of control over what they were doing. Um, right. And this is the album that I think began their legions of fans. You know, really were the, you know, were the, the kind of the beginning of, of what would become the Radiohead cult was, this is like where it really started to, to spread. Right. <laughs> this is where it started. <laughs> this is certainly where it started. <laughs> yeah. What a solid year for music, huh? 1995. Yeah, it really was. 1995. It, not, not too shabby. It's, it's a Lollapalooza year, if you ask me. Yeah. I the mean, last good Lollapalooza year. So, well, you know. Well, folks, we appreciate everybody listening in. Thank you so much. We will be back soon with some more retrospectives and maybe we'll touch on the year 2000, even. We haven't even t- t- talked about that. Yeah. That, that might be, might be, oh, yikes. might be fun to dive into. The year 2000. Yeah, even copied the, uh, Copy the uh, Conan O'Brien song. Maybe we'll go with that. The year 2000. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chris. Thanks as always. Always fun getting to to memory lane with you with this stuff. Yeah, and we shall do this again soon. Bye bye.